0: Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk Podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed Conference. Speaking of the CanMed Conference, have you gotten your tickets yet for CanMed 2022? If yes, then I can't wait to see you out in Pasadena next week for another fantastic event. And if not, what are you waiting for? You're running out of time. Ticket prices are more expensive at the door, so please go to CanMedEvents.com now and get your tickets, and I can't wait to see you. At CanMed 2022, you will learn from the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. And if you want proof of that, look no further than our keynote presenters. Representing our science focus area, we have Dr. Ethan Rousseau presenting about cannabis and psychiatry. Representing our cultivation focus area, we have Dr. Seth Crawford talking about innovations in hemp breeding. Grace Bandong, our safety keynote presenter, will talk about building a comprehensive analytical testing program. And finally, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein will discuss cannabis medicine for children as our medical keynote. Those presentations alone are worth the price of admission, but please go to canmedevents.com to see the full schedule. And if you want a preview of what you can expect at CanMed 2022, check out our CanMed Archive, which is a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels. Find that at CanMedEvents.com. At this year's event, we are also offering a full-day pre-conference medical practicum taking place on May 3rd. The medical practicum is led by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and Eloise Thiessen. Each of them will share the latest medical cannabis research, including information on dosing, drug interactions, and different product types. They will also share their clinical experience they have acquired treating patients with medical cannabis. This really is a must-attend event for any healthcare professionals who are interested in recommending medical cannabis, but it's not limited to those folks. Anyone who is interested in learning more about medical cannabis can and should join us for this event. Head over to canmedevents.com practicum to learn more. Of course, if you can't make it to CanMed 2022, we have a number of resources to help you stay engaged with our community and enjoy some world-class educational content. You are already off to a good start listening to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast be sure to hit that subscribe button so new episodes that I mentioned earlier, it's a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels that you can find at canmedevents.com. While you're at canmedevents.com, be sure to sign up. <clears throat> While you're at canmedevents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts. That's the best way to make sure you are up to date on all the latest CanMed news and special offers. Fourth, we have our CanMed Community Facebook group, which is a great place to share and discuss news and topics related to cannabis science. The link to that group is in the show description. And finally, you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed events. This episode, we're exploring the minor cannabinoids. Yes, for too long, Delta-9, THC, and CBD, have gotten all the attention when it comes to the therapeutic potential of cannabis. But we know that cannabis medicine is a team effort, and there are a variety of compounds that contribute to the entourage effect. So I invited Dr. Kevin Spellman from the National University of Natural Medicine back to the podcast to discuss what research has been done into the minor cannabinoids. Kevin has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to medicinal plants, nutraceuticals, and cannabinoid research, And has authored 29 peer-reviewed publications on medicinal plants. Over the last 30 years, he's coordinated new product development, formulated product lines, advised on analytical and QC guidelines, research activities, and educational curriculums for industry and universities. Kevin is also an instructor at the CanMed 2022 Medical Practicum. During our conversation we discussed How most of the research into minor cannabinoids is preclinical and in isolation, which means our understanding of how they contribute to the entourage effect is still largely unknown. We talk about the different classes of cannabinoids, those being the neutral, acid, and varin forms. We talk about how different forms of cannabinoids can sometimes have the opposite effect on cell receptors, for example, THCA versus THCV. We talk about what minor cannabinoids consumers can look for in products, and we also recap what is known about the major minor cannabinoids, that being CBG, CBN, CBC, THCA, CBDA, THCV, and CBDV. Sorry for the alphabet soup there. Before we get to my conversation with Kevin, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, The Kenigma. The Kenigma is a cannabis education site that's committed to making sure scientific information about cannabis is accessible to anyone who needs it, be it to relieve their own suffering or that of a loved one, to learn a bit more, or even just for fun. The site takes an evidence-based approach to every issue surrounding cannabis, from safety to cooking to medical research, and makes all of that information digestible and useful. For more information, check out canigma.com. That's C-A-N-N-I-G-M-A.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kevin Spelman. Good afternoon, Kevin. Thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So you are an expert on medicinal plants. And the last time you were on the podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about the terpenoids, flavonoids, stilbinoids found in cannabis and how they contribute to the entourage effect. But today I want to talk with you about cannabinoids and specifically minor cannabinoids because they, like the compounds I just mentioned, Have therapeutic effects either on their own or in combination with other compounds. So, I guess my first question to you is how well do we understand the role of minor cannabinoids and which ones in particular should we, the cannabis community, be aware of?
1: Well, I I think it's that's a great question. And I think we have to look at it from two different aspects. How well do we understand the minor cannabinoids in isolation and how well do we understand the minor cannabinoids? when put together in a full spectrum extract. So the first part in isolation, I think there's a few of them that we're getting a handle on, uh, but there's still a lot less to know. For example, um, with most of these, CBG, CBC, um, CBN, uh, m- the majority of the research is actually preclinical. So it's not really on humans yet. Certainly, we, certainly people are using CBG and, and CBN specifically, um, a bit, but um, it's still there's still a, a question mark there. The second aspect of that: Are we understanding the minor cannabinoids and the role they play on the in the entourage or synergic activity? And I have to say, no. We really um, have a lot to learn there. Now, I think we're getting hints, but I think we have quite a lot to learn. And keep in mind that there's there's over 150, at least the last count that I saw. Uh, over 150 different minor cannabinoids uh, identified thus far. So um, there's so much to know here. And you know, when we talk about minor cannabinoids, I like to use the phrase, the major minor cannabinoids, CBN, CBG, CBC, THCV, CBDV, um, those sorts of things. And then there's the minor, minor cannabinoids, which, um, you know, most of us can only uh, name a handful of those. So the minor, minor cannabinoids that I think there's so much work to do there and so much promise, so much therapeutic utility and potential there uh, that it's really quite exciting. It's an exciting field to be in for, I think for researchers right now.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up, this sort of the major minor cannabinoids and the minor, minor cannabinoids. So I, I know you listed off a few there, um, your CBG, CBC, CBN, Um, And then also THCV and CBDV, which are the varin forms. And I know there's also acidic forms of the cannabinoids that are worth investigating. So maybe kind of explain the difference in in those different classes of cannabinoids, and then maybe we can get into more specifics about um, each individual compound and sort of what we know about them so far.
1: Sure, so uh, to be... uh, to, to zero in, on let's talk about acidics first, because this is, this is some of my favorite uh, cannabinoids. And um, I've been saying since, I don't know, probably 2012, 2013, that there's great th- therapeutic utility in the, in the acidic cannabinoids. I mean, mainly because <clears throat> I uh, got the chance to work beside a nurse um, at, that was uh, working at UCSF that treated... Intractable seizures in in pediatric cases. And she claimed back then that all she needed was CBDA, not CBD. And so I remember going to an ICRS and trying to bring this up with somebody, and (laughs) their eyes rolled back in their head like, what are you talking about? Um, So I've been a real fan of the acidics for a while because I, I feel like the decarboxylation piece is a hangover from the drug use of THC, right? Mm-hmm. THC, THCA doesn't get you high, THC does. And so it became the the uh, rote way of dealing with cannabinoids that we had to decarboxylate them. And, and uh, you know, I, I've been fighting against that forever. So uh, Rafa Machulam came out in, I think, when was the pre-pandemic? Was that in the last century or? <laughs>
0: <laughs> feels that way. He,
1: he, he, yeah, it does, doesn't it? He came out before the pandemic um, at the ICRS in Bethesda and basically gave a lecture on acidics. And I was so relieved to see that because now everybody got on board, right? Because yeah. Dr. Machulin was saying, hey, you know, we need to look at the acidics And there's lots of super good activities. So th- those are the acidics and we can talk about them more. And then you get into the barons. Uh, uh, THC-V, CBD-V, and the variants basically have a different side chain on them um, versus the typical normal type that we talk about with with cannabinoids. And that side chain can change things. Uh, For example, uh, THC-V at low doses is actually an antagonist as opposed to THC, which is a partial agonist, right, to the CB1 receptor. And thcv and higher doses can actually be an agonist um, which is not an unusual uh, um, piece for for a compound like that to play a dual role like that it's a really common adage that unfortunately has been forgotten in, in pharmacology that a partial agonist can be an antagonist in other words something that's got lower affinity for a a receptor can help to block the higher affinity ligands, which mm. therefore makes it a little bit of an antagonist. But when there's none of those ligands available, when the higher affinity ligands aren't available, then that lower affinity agonist can actually become an agonist rather than act as an antagonist. So it's a principle in pharmacology that that I feel like has really been forgotten in clinical medicine, because there's lots of ways to harness that therapeutically, I think. Um, So yeah, THCV, with that different side chain on it, with that barren side chain on it, is an antagonist at low doses as opposed to THC. CBDV also has some unique properties as well. Doesn't seem to be too good for pain, uh, but does have some other properties as well. Okay. And maybe
0: for, for those who are maybe a little less versed in some of the terminology, could you briefly explain the difference between an antagonist and an agonist effect?
1: Ah, yeah, thank you. That's uh, sometimes when you're down the rabbit hole, you don't know uh, where the surface is. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So an agonist will, will actually, when we talk about uh, receptors, we talk about ligands or some people say ligands, and we talk about the receptor itself. So this protein that's either inside the cell in some sort of way or sticking out the extracellular membrane of the cell. And so that protein sticking out has a pocket in it and that pocket can bind another molecule. And so that's where we call this, that's the term we're using for ligands. So these ligands can bind that receptor and in binding that receptor, it can do a couple of different things. It can turn that receptor on mm. an agonist. It can turn that receptor off an antagonist, it can, um, let's not get into it, but there's also some other options there, such as inverse agonists, right? Uh, which, which have a whole different, uh, they're not agonists. They, in fact, do the opposite. Uh, but that that explains the agonist versus antagonist. So an antagonist is essentially decreasing or blocking the signaling of that receptor. And an agonist is essentially turning on um, the 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 signaling of that receptor, the signaling, the messages that it sends out.
0: Excellent. And so you're saying that some of these variant forms of the cannabinoids will actually have an opposite effect of their more traditional neutral forms. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So exactly, with THC being an agonist to CB one, whereas THCV can be an antagonist to CB one.
0: Excellent. Okay, uh, so yeah, let's go back to the acids, because as you said, you know, you were excited to see Professor (laughs) Mishulam finally raising some awareness around that. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of, at least what I understand, one of the drawbacks of using the acid forms of the cannabinoids is they're not as stable, and they will, not even with heat, convert into the neutral form, but just um, sort of normal degradation over time. Um, is that a kind of one of the drawbacks of using acids?
1: That that is definitely um, especially with THCA. C B D A is not as as stable either, but it, but it's much more stable than THCA. C B D A can actually form crystals where uh, uh where, excuse me C B D can actually form crystals where THC A will form crystals. Um, so THC uh, A is known for being particularly unstable in the in the fact that we'll lose that carboxyl group. In other words, it'll decarboxylate on its own. So, and this is this is throwing researchers off because there's been research where they were using THCA and getting THC-like effects, but it turned out once they went, went back and, and reviewed the, the work that they had done, that the THCA had actually converted to THC. So that's why they were getting THC effects. Yeah. Right. So if you had to, if you had an intellectually demanding job and you were in pain, the THCA patches worked really well. Um, so that, that gives you an insight there into, into THCA. And the, both uh, THCA and CBDA are are pretty strong, have pretty good af- binding affinity to the TRIP receptors. And the TRIP receptors, um, they've been colloquially called, uh, you know, uh, cannabinoid receptors with an ion channel attached to them. Now, some people argue with that and some people don't, but in other words, that they can be very cannabinoid like. Trip receptors have a very distinct effect on pain, they can reduce pain. So, this was always my idea is why THCA worked for pain because it was binding to some of these TRIP receptors.
0: Hmm. And now, is that does it have a similar effect on pain as THC? Um, the neutral form or is it sort of is it binding to different receptors
1: it's binding to different receptors interesting yeah um so cb1 is can be directly antinociceptive um, however tripv1 can also be antinociceptive so you have this this is and this is why people are saying well they're kind of similar receptors right um when it, in reality the homology isn't that precise in terms of or, or uh, homologous uh, for them, but it gives you a good idea here that there's different mechanisms. And that's that's what I've always been saying with CBDA in terms of seizures, right? For, for CBDAs, I mean, tri- some of the trip receptors are directly anti-convulsant, mm. anti-seizure. So uh, and, and CBD doesn't do a great job at hitting some of these trip receptors, but CBDA does a really good job and binds a very high affinity to some of these trip receptors.
0: Interesting. Okay. And so just, I guess, stepping back here a bit. So the plant naturally is creating these acid forms of the cannabinoids. And it's not until, you know, you have that decarboxylation process that it kind of converts into the neutral forms. So now I'm curious about the varin forms. How is the plant creating those?
1: So so when you have trying to think of the best way to describe this. So one of the things we've been taught and one of the things that really uh, tends to bug me when thinking about molecular biology, is a lock and key uh, model, right? Where, Where a ligand tends to be a key that unlocks the receptor to start doing whatever that receptor does. And My problem with that is that it's, if we're using the analogy that the key will only open one lock, um, it's incredibly inaccurate because it turns out that many molecules can bind a, a receptor. They have to have the right dynamics, the right structure to bind, but they can still bind and sometimes turn on or turn off that receptor. So it's not so precise as we'd like to think so let's take that idea to enzymes. Now, enzymes are something that catalyze a reaction, right? So if we wanna change a molecule into something else, we're gonna need an enzyme to do it or hundreds of or hundred thousands of years to do it, right? One or the other. And there's this idea with enzymes that they will only operate on one substrate. The substrate is a, is a thing going in and then that product is what comes out, right? So the substrate going in, many people think that, well, that's only gotta be a very specific molecule. And in fact, that's not true. Um, In many different plants producing compounds, uh, one enzyme can bind literally dozens of different substrates and change them into something else. And so this is, I think, something that's misunderstood as well in not only uh, plant physiology, but also just in general, think understanding how plants produce compounds. And think about it from an evolutionary standpoint. If a protein that that a plant built, which by the way is expensive, it has to to use its energy coin, it has to use its ATP to do that. If that enzyme could only do one job, Hmm. well, that's not particularly evolutionarily efficient, right? But if that enzyme could do multiple jobs, in other words, dealing with multiple substrates, different substrates, then that's evolutionarily efficient. So we need to think of that, Think in terms of plants, when you start thinking about entourage effect and, and their effects on humans even, you really need to think about evolution, like this evolutionary model. Biology is set up on the evolutionary model. For example, in, in the case of cannabinoids, we have CBGA and CBGVA that get funneled into the same enzyme to produce THCA or THCVA via THCA synthase or CBGA and CBGVA can produce CBDA and CBDVA so that gives you a sense in a practical way
0: excellent all right well that's a good segue then let's talk about CBG um what is it what effect does it have on the body and um, you know what therapeutic potential might it have
1: so Uh, CBG is the the precursor of cannabinoids. So we like to think of it as the the grandmother or the mother of of cannabinoids. Um, And it depends on where you've looked. I mean, a lot of times what we do with, since, since THC and CBD and THCA and CBDA are so well understood, what we'll do is we'll use the same research model and plug another cannabinoid into the same research model. So you'll hear a lot of the same things over and over for all these cannabinoids, but CBG is is definitely shown to be neuroprotective. It's been shown to be anti-inflammatory. It has some anti-carcinogenic activity. It's analgesic. And it's also, um, at higher doses, it's also a CB1 antagonist. But nonetheless, uh, some of the ways that people are using um, CBG, uh, th- actually just a recent survey by, uh, Ethan Russo actually just, just came out and people are using it for, for the most part for anxiety and mood. Um, some people are using it for sleep and finding good, uh, activity there, but yeah, it's, it's being used, uh, currently in a number of different ways.
0: Yeah. And kind of going back to what you said earlier, is it being in used in combination with these other cannabinoids or is it being used in isolation to get those results well
1: it, it, it depends on it depends on what you're using in terms of a product. so if you're if you're getting products that are um uh full spectrum or let's uh in that to me that that term is problematic because uh there's very few products that are truly full spectrum depending on how you define that but If we're using a product that's more based on whole plant or whole flower, in this case, um, yeah, it's not going to be isolated CBG. So in that case, it's going to be in combination with other Mm -hmm. cannabinoids. Um, I know in Oregon, uh, again, pre-pandemic, I think the year before the pandemic, I think over a million uh, chemotypes of uh, high CBG hemp were in the ground, and so that, uh, at least in Oregon, that kind of flooded that CBG market, but. Very rarely was it you know even greater than eighty percent CBG if it was um, a plant product from the flower. If it was an isolate, obviously, you can, you can get that. So uh, it was often w- with high cbd CbG CBD ratios that were uh, you know roughly equivalent um, roughly, maybe between the thirty and seventy percent mark on either way uh, with CBG or CBD. So, and that, and of course traces of THC in many of those hem, uh, chemotypes.
0: Excellent. Okay. Um, so what about CBN? I think maybe most listeners might be familiar with CBN is usually purported to be helpful for sleep, for example. Um, uh, do you do you agree with that assessment or are there other indications that CBN is good for?
1: Well, it's interesting, a study recently came out that suggested that there was no data to support sedation with CBN. However, if you talk to people who have used higher doses of CBN, by higher doses, I would say 40 milligrams and up, um, I'd say that they will tell you that it is definitely sedative. Now, what the research does show in terms of sedation, that especially in the presence of THC, there is a, a, an additive effect at least, if not a synergic effect mm. with CBN in terms of the sedation. Uh, so so there's that. Um, it does have a lower, it does bind CB1. So it does have a lower affinity, however, probably about a fourth to a fifth uh, of the activity or the affinity anyway of THC binding to CB1. Um, it's also quite a- antinociceptive. Um, one particular study showed that it was roughly four times more potent than aspirin, and approximately one tenth as potent as morphine and, and THC. Um, interesting work has come out for osteoporosis. Now, uh, turns out that that uh, cannabinoids have a number of different effects effects in terms of bone strength. Um, preclinical. Now, in all, most of this work I'm going to go through now is preclinical. And this is preclinical with osteoporosis. Um, Preclinical work suggests a promotion of bone formation in in particular models. Um, That's exciting. Um, Also, preclinical work suggests anticonvulsant activity with CBN, as well as anti-inflammatory and antispasmodic activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, uh, much like uh, THC, CBN has shown, again, preclinical work has shown intraocular pressure decreases. Mm. For example, like what happens with when you get increased ocular pressure, such as in glaucoma. And, and by the way, I probably won't mention it with all of them, but most of these cannabinoids do tend to be antimicrobial and CBN would be one of those. Mm.
0: That makes sense, right? Because the plant is, is forming these compounds in order to protect itself.
1: Exactly. Coming back to an evolutionary model. Exactly. These plants are producing compounds that hopefully can multitask or molecular multitasking, as I like to call it. And uh, therefore, uh, yeah, many of them are antimicrobial as well as uh, you know, whatever they do specifically inside the physiology of the plant.
0: Excellent. And now CBN, am I correct in, not assuming, but in understanding that CBN is a, um, like a degradation product of THC.
1: Yeah, th- thanks for bringing that up. So uh, CBN is is an oxidized uh, THC molecule, essentially. And uh, one of the interesting stories I was going to tell earlier, but I realized it would be too far off the mark. Um, we actually tried to generate some CBN by just baking the GB Willigers out of some uh, cannabinoid flowers. I mean, we we really just scorched these things. And I was stunned to find that we really, we did generate a little more CBN than normally would be there. But it was very, it, really, it was pretty resistant to, to being oxidized that way. I know people are now using chemical uh, approaches to, to generate a CBN from THC, which is probably far more efficient based on what I just described.
0: <laughs> Let's see, next on the list here, CBC. Um, yeah. What should we know
1: about that? Uh, CBC. So I think that's an upcoming, uh, so we know a fair amount of it in terms of preclinical work, but I think that's probably one of these upcoming molecules that we might see in terms of, uh, breeders trying to genetically induce uh, more CBC. Hmm. Um, it's, it's anti-epileptic. In other words, it's got some anti-convulsant activity. It's got good anti-inflammatory activity, um, known to be an anti-bacterial. It's also like many of these uh, cannabinoids, it also tends to be neuroprotective. And it also tends to be a, a good antinociceptive, an analgesic. Um, and, and interestingly, not only at one level, but also at the several levels. So, at, at the spinal level, at the supraspinal level, and the peripheral level, it's got antinociceptive effects. Um, so, this may be one of the things that, for example, in combination, uh, with THC and or CBN could be really effective at uh, at reducing pain. And then lastly, the thing that I'd, I'd like to just mention, because um, I'm a big fan of the adenosine receptors, um, it does tend to have some uh, adenosine 1 receptor specifically activity, which would have a calming effect on people. So I haven't seen anything about calming yet, and I haven't dug in deep either, but I haven't seen anything about calming with CBC, but at least theoretically, if it's, if it's binding one of the A1 receptors uh, as an agonist, which is what it does, then uh, that would be potential for it.
0: Interesting. So does that mean that if I, if I were to look at a, um, look at a chemotype, of a certain flower that i'm interested in it were higher in cbc than normal or the or more than other offerings on the menu it would have more of a calming effect and maybe if i'm more prone to anxiety it'd be sort of less of a less of a concern
1: exactly exactly yeah and, and also, also no if I may,
0: it, you go <laughs> <laughs> um
1: you know, one of the, one of the interesting things that uh, a lot of people think about caffeine, they think that caffeine just, uh, you know, somehow triggers your adrenal glands directly. And it's actually not like that at all. It triggers your adrenal glands indirectly. And the way it does that is by antagonizing adenosine receptors. Hmm. So it may be a uh, bit of an antidote to caffeine. We'll see how this works out because we don't have human data yet, but it's certainly is possible. Another plant like that that's an excellent um, antidote to caffeine is Ganoderma lucidum, also known as reishi or some people call it reishi uh, hmm. mushroom, it is actually quite good there because it's loaded with adenosine. Interesting. So
0: I guess thinking as a consumer, if I'm if I'm looking at a report and it has some of these minor cannabinoids in there. Um, is there anything that I can sort of take away from this um, in terms of like, hey, if I notice that this is high in, like, for example, what we just saw, CBC, it might have more of a calming effect. Is there any? Is there other sort of, you know, takeaways that we can we can bring to us next time that we're in the dispensary?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, the 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 first thing that I would think about because I tend to think about medicinal plants in general, right? And so the first thing that I would say is you're getting a, an authentic herbal product mm. because of all the different cannabinoids in there, right? Together. And so therefore you're getting more bang for the buck in terms of your pharmacology is the way I would look at it. In other words, rather than just honing in on one receptor, which, uh, is a way pharma looks at when they build ligands or drugs to bind receptors or enzymes, they, they want one target, right? Well, plants don't work that way and most of the most of our history in terms of treating diseases or even just nutrition it's never been that way we don't hit just one molecule because plants tend to be pleiotropic they tend to have many different molecules in them that multitask that hit a number of different sites not just one and so thinking of from that perspective you're 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 strumming your uh, proteins inside you're strumming your physiology um, in a way that is probably more harmonic and, uh, potentially, uh, offers less side effects because not one particular molecule is concentrated. So I, I tend to think about it that way. Now, coming back to more specifics to cannabinoids, um, yeah, I mean, the main thing that I would think about if I've got these minor cannabinoids is, uh, that I've got the ability to really get more neuroprotective effect, potentially to get more uh, analgesic effect, to get more uh, w- whatever it is you're looking for. Um, because remember, these are just the cannabinoids. These are the major minor cannabinoids, right? These right. are the cannabinoids that we know about. What about all those other cannabinoids that some of them are faceless yet? They don't even have a name. So you know where do, where do we take this? Um, one of the ways we take it is our body responds to it. Uh, in in ways that we don't fully understand yet, but that shouldn't create fear. That's the way our bodies have always been responding to plants. The, the, the thing that really um, challenges me about modern medicine is medical scientists and physicians claiming that botanicals are dangerous when they've been around for millions of years and humans have been ingesting them for whatever, however however old the human genome is, somewhere between 2.5 and 5 million years old. We've been ingesting botanicals to treat ourselves or to nourish ourselves for all those years. And now we've got something that's an isolate. It's, you know, isolates are fairly new to, to the human history. If we really look at it, I mean, how old are isolates at the most, 100 years? Mm. um you know, that's experimental. that's new. That's something we don't fully understand yet. we might think we do. We might have some intellectual rigor around isolated systems that don't resolve real physiology, but that's that's not what humans are. We're not isolated systems or isolated receptors or isolated enzymes in a in a in a petri dish, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know one of the things that you'd mentioned the last time we spoke when we were talking about terpenes is that you know some of these terpenes I think you were you were saying it was um, limonene um, that actually acts and helps with the penetration, right? It helps. Yeah, I think you described it as an icebreaker that it um, it sort of opens the pathway up for these other compounds to kind of get in. So. Um, again, I guess just another example of um, of the entourage effect and how it's it's not about just these single compounds.
1: Yeah. E- excellent. Excellent uh, reach there. Yeah. So I've been talking about pharmacodynamic uh, synergy or effects, but you bring in the pharmacokinetic and that's
0: okay. the
1: other thing we have to really remember about plant medicines is coming back to an evolutionary perspective. Think about a plant producing uh, a few compounds that are potentially um, antimicrobial or in, even antifeedants for pests that are eating it. Right. If they couldn't deliver those compounds past the gut wall of this uh, herbivore that was eating it or past a membrane of a bacteria that was trying to eat it, then it was all for naught. They spent energy making a molecule that wasn't going to work. Hmm. So the way they dealt with that, and, and there's literally thousands and thousands of examples of this, where those other compounds that we tend to think are not active in plants actually enhance the uptick, enhance the ability of, a, of an active molecule to penetrate through a membrane or a gut wall. And so you, you brought up limonene. Limonene is a great example of that. And it's not just terpenes that, that do this, right? Other, other compounds can do this as well. Um, So I think it's really key to keep in mind when I say you get more bang for your buck (laughs) because you're, you're using a whole plant. Well, you're probably getting better absorption and better uh, pharmacology out of, out of a plant medicine than you would just an isolated form.
0: Excellent. Um, I guess winding down here, I, I think we mentioned that you know, CBN is, has been out there and it's been talked about as being a sleep aid or or a sedative. And then you mentioned, you know, CBC as potentially being, um, you know, a new cannabinoid or new hot cannabinoid that's going to be coming out there. So I'm just thinking, you know, for the, I guess maybe for the growers out there or the breeders out there who are looking to, um, you know, create new and novel cultivars, you know, what sort of, major, minor cannabinoids, do you think that they'll be focusing on or that, you know, at least the consumers are going to be going to start looking for?
1: Well, I I think it's I think it's going to follow the direction of the research. And so, you know, we're learning more and more about about CBC. We're learning more about the acidics. Um, So I I think that's really the direction it's going to go is whatever tends to wherever scientists really put their focus. That's what's going to happen. Or it might go in the market direction as well where a breeder particularly is able to tweak a, a genome or a hybrid, uh, a, um, a particular plant to the point where it suddenly it's producing a, a cannabinoid that we know very little about. Mm. It could go from the market angle and people start using it and they go, oh, I noticed this and this with this particular uh, chemotype or this particular, uh, cultivar.
0: Excellent. All right. Um, before I let you go, Kevin, I want to give you an opportunity to share any additional resources or website or social media, anything that you'd like to plug before I let you go, please have at it.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, check me out on, at the Spellman Report on Instagram. I'm on Twitter and um, I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, my my website is FidoKimKS, my name, Kevin Spellman, FidoKimKS at, uh, at FidoKimKS.com.
0: Excellent. I will put links to those things in the show description so people can easily find you. And of course, we can find you easily at CanMed 2022 next week, <laughs> if you can believe That's it. That's right. Um, so hopefully, listeners, you're gonna you're gonna be there in Pasadena, and uh, we can talk in person.
1: That's right. Th- and Ben, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, talking with you.
0: All right. We'll see you soon. Yep. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Kevin Spellman. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, The Conigma. Our next episode will drop May 11th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out the CanMed archive and join the CanMed community Facebook group to stay connected with us. Of course, you can also stay in touch with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Just search for events. Sign up for email alerts on events.com to stay up to date with all the latest news. And please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so helps us reach more listeners. I do sincerely hope to see all of you out in Pasadena this spring, but until then... Stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us for the next Canbed Coffee Talk.